Is this the platonic option or the romance option? Well, it said sensual. It said it said it's a sensual night. I thought we were just gonna get drunk. I don't understand. Live from the Mundangerous Quick Save in New York City. I'm your host Shane, and I'm your host Yushin. And welcome to episode 351 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about Baldur's Gate 3. But first, the party takes a swim in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Dark Urge killed the flame in the Character Creation Forge. So just a note here that I am both sick and still recording in a makeshift pillow fort, which is why I sound underwater. But with that out of the way, Shane, uh, I have beef with you, as the kids say, or maybe the older college students. Uh, oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> About what? What did I do this time? Well, Get okay. <laughs> for years, for years now, you've been adamant about, and I quote, no nerd Every year Mm -hmm. anime comes around and I'm making builds and educating you on the finer points of shonen. Uh, But now I come to find out from the Discord, no less, that you watched an anime on your own. Mm, I don't think that's true. Oh, oh, really? Oh, really? Did you Mm -hmm. did you not watch the Netflix One Piece show? Uh, (laughs) You mean the live action One Piece? Oh, oh, I see. We are making a distinction between uh, a live action TV show based on an anime and a manga and actual anime. That's where we're going uh, now. Oh, I am. And also, um, <laughs> if, you're, if your version of Did You Watch is, did you get to the point where his arms went stretch Armstrong and turn it off? Then yes. So if you want to count 15 minutes against me, then sure. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I will. Wait a minute. Wait, you didn't know that like he gets all Dalson? No, I knew nothing about it. All I knew about him <laughs> was that uh, he was a pirate with a straw hat because that's basically the pitch that I got in in the Discord. So I was like, all right, well, whatever. I'm Mr. Pirate Guy. I mm-hmm. will be open to other interpretations of piracy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is one interpretation of piracy that I'm not willing to, to get on board with. No stretchy people are pirates. The next time you try to reboot the pirate campaign, I am definitely playing a bugbear with Reach. Good luck. <laughs> For some reason, my character keeps dying. Yeah. <laughs> you said bug be- bugbear with reach. You did not say bugbear with swim. So I, I'm good. <laughs> A bugbear with heartbeat. Okay. But you know what? You know, great, great. Loopholes, loopholes are fine. Okay. So dear listeners, look forward to future episodes of the show uh, cribbing from the live action Dragon Ball movie. Uh, cribbing from the live-action Bleach movie, cribbing from the Raul Julia masterpiece, uh, Street Fighter. Oh, I'm fine. I, I mean, <laughs> to be clear, like, this has never been about, like, the source or even the subject matter or the art. It's been, it's like bits and pieces of all of those things, right? Like, <laughs> it's, there's it's, conventions. It's been all of the above. There's conventions built into anime that I don't care for in the storytelling. There's, like art there's pieces of the like animation style that i don't care for there's also pieces of it that i love which is why like the old sunbow animated cartoons from the 80s like 
I think are great because they just took all the anime but got rid of like the the disco background um for the power-up sequence right like there's just like pieces of it that I just like I don't care for so I just don't watch it as a genre but like there's also elements of it that translate just fine when you wrap it in like a more traditional like film structure like street fighter i guess <laughs> <laughs> like mortal Kombat, i guess is that what you want me to say that's not anime what you, that's just straight up video games yeah but it took it took all of the street fighter stuff and just said no we got this you know <laughs> yolo <laughs> you know i shouldn't i shouldn't be upset right like i should not be surprised when the scorpion stings the anime it is its nature. <laughs> and of course, you know, That's we true. are we are uh, cis straight men over the age of 30, um, which means that, of course, our friendship is based on shared interests and not shared feelings. So, you know, correct. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> not sharing an interest. <laughs> <sighs> well, I'm glad we resolved that. Oh, yeah. People people really like that one piece Netflix show, but it is uh very quickly determined not for me which is great you guys enjoy it without oh, me. <laughs> i haven't watched it at all so <laughs> oh that's because you're on italian netflix it doesn't get there until like uh, February. 2050 yeah yeah <laughs> we'll get the, the the italian remake it's like a okay. spaghetti western version <laughs> sure which you know what now i think i want it <laughs> uh, i mean okay you give me you give me a one piece giallo and i'm interested <laughs> All right, that's all I know about Italian cinema. Moving on to the Gates of Morning campaign. So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And high in the mountains, the party is trying to stop the quarry from finding the gatekeeper's seals and unleashing the chaos of Zoriat onto the material plane. Primus has enforced a bargain between the party and the Mindseed, Voreg. Together, they must defeat the Dalkir Lord Kirzin and protect the Gate of Earth from the corrupted Mindseed, Nalith. When the party enters the cavern that shelters the gate, the ground beneath their feet turns to sludge. Mud-like lumps are scattered across the ground, and for a moment, they rise into vaguely humanoid shapes. The party can see they were once Earth Elementals, likely the corrupted guardians of the Gate of Earth. All at once, they collapse, flooding the entire cavern with formless, churning goo. A wave crests over their heads, threatening to drown them. But at the last moment, the translucent form of Primus blazes with light, parting the tide just enough that they are not all swept away. But even held at bay, the ooze lashes out at them with long tendrils. They slash them away, but it is obvious they will quickly be overwhelmed unless they can make it to the high ground of the gate. Holding Primus aloft, they slowly push through the waves of mud. When one stumbles or is dragged to the ground, they throw Primus to another party member and continue the trek. Seeing an opportunity to leave Vorig behind to be swallowed up, Bramble tries to teleport away with Primus, but the golden clasp on his wrist burns brightly. Instead of Bramble, it is Vorig and Primus who are teleported ahead, and the shifter is engulfed by the ooze, barely fighting free of its grasp, but greatly weakened by its touch. Finally, they reach the foot of the gate, and the ooze cannot follow. But now, for the first time, Nalith gazes down at them from atop the gate. You are just in time to witness my triumph, 
siblings. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. All right, so this week we are talking about Baldur's Gate 3. Is that a thing that people have been talking about, Shane? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> but due to the vagaries of our availability to play the game and also to get recording, I think we missed the discourse. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually seeing a lot of like second wave Baldur's Gate interest where people are like, hi, hi, am I late? Am I late to the game, to the party? <laughs> I, I finally got it. I have a life and I couldn't do anything, which, you know, I mean, me. That was you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm still in Act One, okay, but also I'm a completist, so I have been slogging my way trying to do everything in Act One because I'm like, am I honestly going to do another playthrough <laughs> when I'm done with uh, this? We'll we'll talk about that, but yeah, yeah. I mean that's the that, that's one of the issues with the game, <laughs> in my opinion. Like, um, how are you on spoilers, Ishan? <laughs> uh. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Look, like the game it was it's October now. The game has been out for months and it's been so popular that like you can't help but live in like the soup of spoilers. Mm. So, it'll be all right. But dear listener, if you haven't finished the game yet, or even if you've only done a couple of runs, which means you definitely haven't discovered everything there is about the game, uh mm -hmm. we're going to try to keep spoilers to uh, a minimum. Um, or even just we're just going to save them all for the end of the episode. So let's start this talking about uh, what they've done differently from, you know, kind of core fifth edition and some of the great ideas there are to steal from the game. Uh, and then maybe we can do a little more of like a review of the game itself, uh, along with like maybe a recommendation at the end. How does that sound? So we'll do a little bit of steal this game, a little bit of should you steal this game and a little bit of should you pay for this game <laughs> <laughs> enough that you can steal steal from it yes um yeah like enough people are playing this game and enough new people are playing this game that it's going to be a cultural touchstone for mm -hmm. a long time and that means of course that you can mine it for your game or uh you know just lift whole cloth i so first of all i think it's worth noting there are some changes to uh like the mechanics of 5e that are actually really interesting and initially they're there because you know you're adapting it for the like you know turn-based crpg you know not on a grid but also not theater of the mind style of the game um so one thing they did was changing using an item into a bonus action um, so any item you use is a bonus action, and that uh, undermines the thief. So the thief with their fast hands ability at level three instead gets an extra bonus action, which I will just say is awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is how 5e should have been designed in the first place. Yeah, it's interesting. Like as as we sort of see like 5.5 edition slash sixth edition looming, um, and there are conversations about like what direction that will go in. It's really interesting from a design perspective to see the changes that Larian made when translating this to uh, a computer game format where you're like, that is sort of inspired and in how it should have been in the first place. Or, oh, okay, I absolutely understand why you like didn't leave at the tabletop way because that would be way too complicated to adjudicate or implement. 
Mm. Like jumping? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> jumping well, is a bonus action. Yeah, jumping costs you a bonus action. It's it, it, And it's because, like, when you're dealing with a fully 3D rendered, you know, like, environment, right? And you're not dealing with just the, the sort of, like, limitations and, and tabletop conventions. Like, mobility is a lot of how you generate interest in the fight, right? And And how you, like make the environments come alive and make them feel less repetitive when you're doing this for, you know, 120 hours straight. So jumping is very valuable. Um, and so, yeah, that it also means like you get a little bit of extra movement or you avoid the penalty and it, it gives you, it's always giving you something to do with your bonus action. It feels like, but it is a little silly that <laughs> characters are just jumping around willy nilly. Yeah, or never jumping because I have a class that uses my bonus action. Well, that's the, yes, that's the issue is giving up class stuff in order to jump. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In terms of more substantive changes, how did you feel about the Tavern Brawler rework? Um, So the Tavern Brawler feat, which is uh, in tabletop niche, um, it gives you proficiency in improvised weapons. Uh, here, it adds double your strength bonus to unarmed, thrown, and improvised attacks, and then gives you plus one to strength or con, um, which I think makes it something that you might actually choose at some point. It, like it, it's one of those pleasant surprise changes. Like some of the changes that they made, um, definitely nerf options, and you don't necessarily know unless you did a lot of research going in what's different if you played a lot of tabletop. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so like this thing happened to me where in fifth edition, if you get a skill proficiency that you already have, you just pick a different skill proficiency, like any other one that you want. So you don't miss out on a skill and they did not implement that here. So if you get an overlapping skill proficiency, you just lose a skill. So you need True. to like sort of carefully select like, you know, um, wood elves get stealth. But that means that if you choose a background that automatically gives you stealth, you lose a skill. So you can never be a wood elf urchin, which I mean, I hate, I hate that implementation. I actually, I um, started over early on and lost four hours of gameplay because I was like, no, no, I I refuse to lose like one to two skills because uh, you, like, you can't re- <laughs> respect your race. Or your background, right? So you're just stuck there. And I was like, nah, forget this. It's going to bother me for apparently 200 hours. And I want to live like that. So, (laughs) but Tavern Brawler, I would be like, if I put that on a character or I was, you know, going through the list of feats, I would be pleasantly surprised that, oh, great. Maybe that actually does something useful for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it has yielded some meme kind of, uh, builds out of monk because of the strength bonus to unarmed attacks but like oh whatever <laughs> like yeah. you know like the monk is always like if you sure like if you blow all of your key points in one fell swoop uh you're gonna have a great round you know like that's not really that different it's just it, you're also now you're a strength monk for the rest of your time so enjoy right. yeah Um, and this is a video game, right? So one thing you can count on in a D and D video game is there, there's going to be a lot of loot and, you know, playing an unarmed character, you're missing out on the ridiculous 
magic weapons that show up mm-hmm. in this game. So yeah, yep. yeah, you get get some extra damage to that punch. Well, <laughs> you are in Act One. In Act Two, uh, monk items come come fast and furious uh, because they also there's a lot of unarmed stuff because of. Um, the number of druids in the game. <laughs> um, so druids also benefit from unarmed, uh, which is the other piece of this feat that's that's helpful. Um, so uh, shifting away from the mechanics a little bit, uh, another thing that I really liked, and it's funny as we're uh, you know still recapping the Gates of Morning campaign, um, the framing event right to like the idea of you've all been captured by mind flayers you've all been implanted with a parasite and none of your parasites have yet turned you into mind flayers um that's the thing you share in common um go deal with the world i think is a really great way of bringing together this like really broad cast of companions and like other npcs and everything right Mm -hmm. and it feels a lot to me like what you did to start off um gates of morning right which is like oh well we're all there on the day of morning and we didn't die go figure it out folks (laughs) right like that's the self-selection process and Mm -hmm. you know anyone could have been there right anyone could have been in Baldur's gate when like the nautilus shows up and starts teleporting people aboard yep it is interesting that it was like you know a a vampire and a a dude who used to sleep with the goddess of magic like you know there's there's (laughs) you mean a dude who will immediately tell you he used to sleep with the goddess of magic (laughs) is that what you mean you mean a sex pest it's two sex pests (laughs) and you know just randomly a gift yankee (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> but i mean this this is in pretty stark contrast i think to the earlier Baldur's gate games right where like the whole party kind of knew each other right i mean you obviously you picked up minsk and you picked up uh jahira and khalid uh right you grow up with him and then they come back for Baldur's gate too so you already have all that established backstory and mm-hmm. here you have a brand new you know adventurer tav right a tadpole adventurer um and then like you have this like just new random group right and of course there's like some callbacks to the original games with with some characters who show up but like you know the core of the game is is just an all-new cast it was a nice piece of writing because it sets up a believable reason for all of these people to be together right and you know it's, when you're doing a video game and not having a GM at the table adjudicating interactions or, you know, tweaking storylines to fit people's backgrounds. You sort of need something that can be everything to everyone. And this is like open enough where it's like, you can be evil, you can be good. um, You can be a lone wolf who's not interested in hanging out with anybody else. And yet you all still end up with a reason that I guess you'll you'll adventure together, even if you don't want to do it. Right. Yeah, because you're afraid of your face turning into tentacles, I guess. <laughs> or are you? We'll, mm, we'll get into good that. point. Uh, another thing I, I think was interesting was the presentation of Githyanki culture and the the Mind Flayer War. Um, like, it's one of those things that I've read about, but I haven't really read about in like adventures or in portrayals or like novels or anything like that. So like. 
you know, a, a source book gives you kind of like the broad strokes, but then seeing it come to life, uh, like in the Githyanki crash, uh, seeing how they interact with each other, like seeing Lazel as a character, like um, try to balance like her personal plight versus her like responsibility and 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 what she learns about the Gith as a whole. Like it, I found that really compelling. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, like so the the Gith Yankee traditionally are an antagonist race uh, for mm-hmm. for PCs, right? Like they're and they're in, they're antagonists here too. They're just, you know, C-tier antagonists, and you've got much bigger problems. Right, and certainly you don't get, like, the inside view of we're hanging out with a Githyanki, not usually, right? Right. Like, usually it's, oh, we got, we're stuck in the astral sea because, like, some idiot stuck a bag of holding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got picked up by Githyanki. Right, exactly. Because we accidentally ended up here because our wizard's a moron. (laughs) Or our rogue, you know, like, what does this portable hole do? Don't. ah, Okay, fine. Um, And then that that is what keeps us from being stranded here forever. And like we negotiate with the Githyanki and, you know, we fight mind flayers because that's what they do. Right. And well, we ride red dragons. But like I just said to you pretty much everything that I know about Githyanki prior to Mm -hmm. this. Um, And I think most most players would say the same thing. And it's it's really nice characterization of a like typically well a stereotypical race where you know everyone's the same they all believe the same thing and like every, one gith yankee is interchangeable with another gith yankee you know mm-hmm. i would like to contrast that to the very forgotten realms wholly negative portrayal of goblin society in this game because holy shit, there are times when like the game forces you to kill goblin children I forgot that you have to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. For, because of the you have to rescue a third sex pest, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I I forgot that you have to do that. But I, so I didn't catch that in the same way because the the goblins are also cultists, right? And like they're like fully controlled by. I mean, a mind flayer cult, basically, right? So, like, I didn't get that quite as strongly. Though, I mean, I see what you're saying. Obviously, there's no good, there's no good goblins Any, um, anywhere, right? And there's like, and even if you, there's if only you do a few talk that to you can even talk to, yeah. right? And if you do talk to the kids, they're like, ah, my parents died, but they deserved it, you know? And it's like, yeah, that's a lot. All right, you had someone yeah. voice that, like, you had a voice actor say that, and you put it in your game. Mm-hmm. And there's no there's no dialogue option to be like, well, that seems f- up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like leave or attack. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you uh, know, I've I've seen some some players be like, oh, okay, I really didn't know how to like deal with this. I was playing a paladin, and I almost killed the the NPC because like of their actions. And I, I was like, I'm just calling this a bug <laughs> game bug. And I'm just like rewriting it in my head. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, there's no way around this. Uh, yeah, that was a weird, that is, I, and I had a, I, well, first of all, I had many, many quick saves and many, many <laughs> loads. Because uh, I also recognize I'm only playing this game once. So I went ahead and explored the branching paths. Um, but that was one where I was like, 
oh, okay, so this is an incredibly annoying choice that I didn't know I was making. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, great, gotta, guess I gotta go, like, explore new dialogue options. Um <laughs> Which is uh, one of the things we could talk about later in the review section, because there's a, a fair bit of that. <laughs> um, I do like, though, you mentioned on this, like, th- there is a lot of choice. Um, I, and and I, I criticize that it's, like, somewhat aesthetic choice, but in a lot of ways, like, that's what an RPG is, is, is a set of aesthetic choices. Oh, yeah, tabletop, um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and... and, and <laughs> They present lots of ways forward that will keep the main story intact, right? Like you will get to where you need to go regardless of which path you choose in act one, right? And they're not, it's not that they're not materially different, but like they equip you for act two in different ways, um, but still let you get to act three and make the same meaningful choices, right? Which I think is, 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 a, an interesting way to structure the game and like in a, in a <sighs> of like the right thing to do, I suppose. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know how it works if you don't do that. I guess the game falls apart in act three, which, you know, a spoiler, it does a little bit but for different <laughs> reasons. I think it's a good implementation of the thing that we say a lot, which is, Look, it doesn't really boil down to, haha, players pick door A or door B. They lead to the same door, and I don't care. Um, it, it's a more advanced version of that, right? Like, this mm-hmm. is a game called Baldur's Gate 3. In Act 3, you get to Baldur's Gate. That will also, happen. Like, also, it's Baldur's Gate 3. If you didn't know from the freaking <laughs> tin that it was going to involve, like, the the dead three... I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, like it's, it's that's the game. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't see that, if that's a spoiler, sorry, but like, also it's not, it's there. <laughs> uh, but um, so, but how but, it gets there is interesting. Right. Yeah, and I, I think yeah. that's valid that there's multiple ways and real choices to make early on, um, you know, that, that do matter for a good, you know, half the game. And I think a nice thing that you can take away from this for your tabletop game is, you know, if you were playing sort of like straight through the game, right? And you're like, oh, I'll do other playthroughs later or whatever. But here are the choices that this character is going to make in this playthrough. It feels like, oh, like one one choice veers hard to the left and one choice veers hard to the right. If you play through again, you realize they the, the game funnels you back toward where like the consequences aren't the same but you end up sort of at the same uh plot point but you know maybe right. things are a little different right but you still move through the same points and that is I, it, that's something that you should be doing when running a game anyway right and and, and what it is is you end up hitting the same roadblock right mm-hmm. and it's just that you have different tools available to you to overcome that roadblock at that point Right. Right. And and I think that's like that is a meaningful choice, right? And it is a, a an indicative choice. And, and we're I mean in act 1 we're talking very clearly like do you side with the goblins, do you side with the grove? It's not really that hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um that that like that's not it's barely a spoiler if anything like that those are going to be your two options. But like either way you will get to act 2. Um but which one you present with you'll have different 
resources available to you. I mean, you could kill everyone. I don't know that you can. You can kill some Almost of the druids and then all the goblins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear. <laughs> Functionally, everyone, perhaps. <laughs> A plurality, certainly. I love the the characterization, not just of the the characters, the NPCs, the origin characters, right? Which which is excellent, I think. I mean, that's probably what most of like the memeing and discourse is about this game. But like the setting really comes to life. The wilderness in Act One, I think, is like more vibrant than I was necessarily expecting. But the Underdark, uh, which is sort of transitional between Act One and Act Two. Well, we'll talk about it. It's confusing. Like, but the yeah. Underdark is a setting. Like, there's a, a a large exploration component. There's Grimforge, which is a an actual location. Like the whole thing, it feels huge. It feels vast. It feels alien. It feels very different from the like you know conventional Forgotten Realms wilderness that you were exploring up above. Um, it's constantly menacing. They play with lighting really in a really good way, but then it's still like. It feels like a functioning ecology. It feels like it's alive. Uh, it's just, it's, it, I said this about the D&D movie too, right? Where it's mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. in my mind, I never really wrap my head around how the Underdark is supposed to exist inside the crust of a planet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but in in the presentation, like, I kind of get it. And I also kind of don't care anymore, you know? Like, it's just like, it feels really cool it's really fun to go and explore there and i i really enjoyed that part yeah i was going to bring up the D, &D movie too because this feels like you know a, a pattern of redemption for the underdark in yeah like in this visual media like making it seem like feel as cool and and alien and weird and dangerous as we have been told it has been but traditionally usually it's just you know the dark cave where drow emerge from uh or it's right. a place where you go and just kill everything except i guess the swift neblin mm -hmm. yeah exactly and and then here like you, you know there's there's all types of there's all types of like little locations that are like almost self-contained vignettes mm -hmm. um which is cool but then there's like there's some pretty big uh, encounters right Grimforge is is a pretty substantial place that has a lot of plot elements to it but there's like a Mykonid colony there's a, a ruined village um, there's a, a temple that's been overrun or like an outpost of a temple that's been overrun and sealed off behind them there's a bulette uh, there's there's a bulette that's true <laughs> there's also the um, uh, there's also a drow statue garden uh, which uh, conveniently they give you a, a stone to flesh scroll not too long before you get down there. Wonder what that could be for. You'll enjoy it. Good luck. And again, like, does that appear obvious? Yes, of course it appears obvious, but you need to be obvious with players. Like, do that stuff. Seed the stuff, mm -hmm. you know? And mm -hmm. one good thing that you can do in tabletop that it's very difficult to do in, an RP, in, a, in a computer RPG is you can give the party the scroll when they need it right if you can approach the location from any direction then like a computer rpg player is going to find a way to get there without getting the thing that they need first no well, matter how well they're funneled 
this is going to get a little spoilery actually, but, but it plays really well with like that kind of like film technique of, of the sort of like reiterating before paying it off. Right. Um, because, and it's, it's too open to know which way you're going to face it. Right. But, um, I think there, there's a, there's a big hag, uh, component to act one that you can get engaged with and, and sort of a, a side quest storyline um and, and in the cat the hags like uh lair there there are a bunch of her victims uh you know preserved in various ways and and various like kind of monkey's paws and one of them is you know like a, an adventurer who's um uh in stone and if you release him he instantly dies because he didn't want to die and had a disease and you know that was the deal he made and he like curses you for killing him um and so like so that's one way forward (laughs) right um and either that is a warning to not go you know unstoned people who are (laughs) peacefully lying in stone because, you know, then you're initiating another encounter if you come across it in the Underdark. Or you've learned your lesson, and then it's like the 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 payoff if you go to the drow or to the uh, hag version of the encounter afterwards. It's like, oh, okay, well, I was ready for a fight. Uh, whew, it was just that. But also, well, that kind of sucks for that guy. <laughs> but also reload. The wasting disease got him. <laughs> yeah, but also reload. No, I didn't reload. I used the scroll. Forget it. I don't care. I don't care about that dwarf. Um, the boss fights are also really good. And I think the Act 1 boss fights are probably the weakest. Um, but there's a lot of like... There's a lot of themes that they introduce in the in the boss fights that like carry throughout, right? Things like using multiple levels of terrain. Yes, um, yeah, tutorials and, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh and using like a lot of objects to create movement challenges and, and like kind of interactive and, and Larry and RPGs, like the Divinity uh series, like does a lot with like substances on the ground or there's a lot of interacting with like setting oil on fire or electrocuting water or stuff like that. And there's some of that carries through in, in places as well. Um, the boss fights also just have like a variety of monsters and minions and archetypes. Like you fight all types, um, of like notable D and D things, right? Not just NPCs, right? Not just the hobgoblin leader or whatever, right? But like mm, some true monsters, and then you know some wizards <laughs> and the usual yeah. type. Um, In general, and just there's push also, them off cliffs. Just that that seems well, to be the way to go. It it, it is. You can get in over your head on level, and that is sometimes the safest way to do it. But also, <laughs> they'll do it to you on hard mode. It's my warning. <laughs> like, <laughs> did I play? Did I play at least one version of an encounter in which a conga line of shoves happened? Yes. Did everybody die in the lava? Also, yes. <laughs> um. And at the higher level, well, so, I mean, lava, uh, getting shoved into lava is actually one of the the mid-tier mechanics. But at the higher levels, they, rather than just making bigger bags of hit points and beat sticks, they introduce new mechanics that need to be dealt with in order to, like, then work through the bag of hit points, right? Which 
which gives them it lengthens the encounter without feeling like it's a slog because like you're never at the point where you just surround the enemy and just like keep waiting to roll a 15 or better until i get enough damage right uh they do things like shield generators or like spawn points for summons or you know um there's a there's a really cool boss fight where depending on which minions are alive uh empowers the boss's abilities differently so you kind of have this balancing act of like do i try to blitz down the boss but leave him like with a really strong ability or do i try to like deal with some of his minions and what's that kind of like tipping point um you know you might fight in a room that's full of traps or you know different kind of things like that so i think they do a good job of introducing variety in there too without just defaulting into the back half of the of the monster manuals like no we just have legendary saves and more hit points Uh and uh it's dangerous because you know it'll take longer right okay (laughs) which means there's just more of a chance for the gm to roll crit exactly exactly which you know it happens yeah <laughs> it's quick save f5 to quick save <laughs> <laughs> the the encounter design is interesting because i think on tabletop the the tendency to make like a big sprawling encounter is literally sprawling right like you take up the whole table and you go horizontal mm-hmm. and one of the design notes from this game is hey, we didn't go horizontal, we went vertical. Because Mm -hmm. that's a thing that we can do and we can illustrate really clearly when you're playing Mm -hmm. this game in a way that like I understand is very hard to do on a flat table, like, you know, when you're drawing on your battle map, right? Like, it's such a pain to be like, this is plus 10 feet, this is plus 45 feet, blah, 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 right? Um, And it it changed the way that like a lot of it changed the ranges on weapons. It changed the ranges on spells. You know, everything's a lot shorter because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, just in terms of interaction with the game, harder to like scroll, 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 scroll to get to the rest of the, the battle map rather than just being like, Oh, that's higher than that. Okay, great. Um, I think, (laughs) I think it's something that you can pull into your game. Um, and it allows for more interaction with gravity, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's it's a tough thing, though. Um, so one thing that, that they did in Baldur's Gate 3 that I absolutely got annoyed by is, like, they play with the perspective and the verticality. At <laughs> times, they right. play with it in really unfair ways in that, like, you can't really get your camera up to see like everybody who could be in an encounter or everybody who's in the room and it's not a perception thing right it's not a like uncareful gameplay and it's not a like there's there's not really a, a skill that represents this it's just like oh well because of how the camera locks and the and the draw distance there was no way for me to actually see that those people were there mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and part of this encounter because they were on a different level than me. That never feels good. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, it's fine because in in a way it like creates the unexpected challenge. Uh, and, and, you know, cause combat is oftentimes a puzzle, but also it's like really unfair if you're 
planning and scouting and preparing for a fight and then find out well just arbitrarily it's like not the fight that you were carefully preparing for like thanks you know it's like it's just kind of i don't know it, it, it there's some feel bad moments for me um, well i mean if it's if it's an enemy that your character sees but i like playing the game looking at my computer screen can't <laughs> that that is a failure i think uh, uh, well, it's a it's a it's a locking of the camera problem, right? So right. the camera perspective will only let you see, let's say, forty feet away, right? So anything sitting fifty feet away, yeah, your character should be able to see, but you have to initiate the combat to get that close, right? Uh, and so when you like put that gate ahead of exposing the enemy to the player now it comes as a surprise right until they're acting in combat and then they move and then the camera pans to them as the active character right it's like i don't know it's weird and it's annoying and it's a it's a thing that happens in act one too that's the one of the fights in the tunnels outside of the um um outside of the grove like there's some uh there's some goblins who are trying to like break in through the tunnel um and they absolutely do it to you uh oh, yeah, where yeah. like you, you find the guy like sitting on the ground and there's like there's obviously one enemy nearby that you can plan for but then there's just three more enemies that are too far back that you can't possibly see it's aggravating as hell yeah i really wanted a button just to be like forget the pretty detail just show me the whole map top down <laughs> and highlight everybody exactly <laughs> right i just want to know where everyone is and don't yep. just don't move give me a static map yeah yeah, it's pretty. It's I mean, while while it's, we're talking about combat, yeah. I do want to say that one of my biggest beefs is the way that they just changed initiative. Instead of rolling a d twenty, you now roll a d four, and mm -hmm. I don't I don't hate the idea of this idea. I hate the implementation of it on a five e chassis where nothing else changes. Because what it means is if you're in heavy armor and dump decks as you should, you will always go last. There's no more getting lucky and rolling high on initiative or someone else rolls low. You always go last. Um, I had the opposite experience of I played an assassin and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> but I also lucked into that. I didn't know that they had changed initiative until I noticed that I never went second but i right. rare, yeah. rarely did i go even second but like i i never went you know too far below like maybe one enemy i respected to decks high decks instead of high strength literally because i was like i mean you know if you're not playing tactician the combats are easy enough where like it's it's fine if you don't go first but i was i was just like this is boring you know mm -hmm. um and it also i have seriously considered just giving everyone the alert feat so we'll just always go first, get, you know, get an extra round, right? Like a plus yeah. five is ridiculous. Yeah, surprise rounds are really good as well. <laughs> Said the assassin. So in terms of what to port over to your game or your gameplay experience, I'm not surprised. Um, I, I am maybe sort of surprised at the longevity of the conversation that people are having around not gameplay necessarily but character appearance character design right how many mods there are for making your character look different i myself spent an hour picking my hair color 
Um, <laughs> because it just, it's still not quite right. Not quite. I mean, I've gotten used to it. Okay. Like we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, but like at, at a tabletop, it's all mind's eye, you know, and mm-hmm. you like, you just look like whatever you want. But I think the way this translates for me as advice is think about how your players want to be able to envision their character and give them the tools to do that. So like, for example, we talk a lot about reflavoring, right? Like take the mechanics of an ability or a spell or whatever, and make it your own, change it to be how you want. It doesn't change the power level. It just simply changes the way that it looks in everyone's head. But I've encountered players, particularly like RP, like role play heavy players who don't want to reflavor. What they want is to take the tools that the game provides and use them to their fullest extent. But just changing things feels a little bit like cheating to them, right? So what that means is if you're a game designer or if you're a GM, when you're confronted with something like, you know, let's just say magic missile, right? The Or Eldritch Blast. Like the text of those spells usually says something like a crackling beam of dark energy or like four... Uh, blue darts fly to your opponent or whatever, right? And like, that is fine. But but the thing that I think really engages a particular subset of player much more than that kind of description is like the Powered by the Apocalypse or um, Forged in the Dark version where it's like, hey, pick, pick the aesthetics of what your spell looks like. And then lists like it could be blue darts. Uh, could be crackling beam of energy, could be, um, could look like, you know, fiery animals that fly towards your opponent, right? Like if you list three or four things and say all of these are valid and accurate, then the player can then say, oh, I can actually, I can make it look like anything I want. It doesn't need to look specifically like this, or it doesn't need to play like this or feel like this. You should open the world up to them to be like, it's yours. And if it doesn't affect the balance of the game, like, do whatever you want, right? Like this is this is part of the appearance conversation. Uh, do you want to talk about the NPCs? I think I have to give hats off to the developers here. Um, like I said before, a computer RPG really needs to be everything to everyone. You sort of need to account for all the options that any given player might want to explore. And I think that really sort of shines for me with the interactions between the NPCs, right? Like you pick any random three NPCs, put them in a party, and they're going to have unique interactive dialogue with each other in given situations. Recorded, recorded dialogue, you know, that just sort of like happen in the margins of the moment that don't affect the game in any way. It's just while we walk through this area, Shadowheart and Asterion have this conversation, but if I don't have a staring in the party, then like Shadowheart and Carlac have a different conversation, you know? And you can see that in the way that like they both animated and voiced a lot of the NPCs when you're getting into the romance aspects where it's like every, it's nice, right? Every character is romanceable by any character that you are playing, right? It's not the old style like, oh, this, this NPC has a set sexuality, which of course you know, in the old days was straight. That was it, right? Like you couldn't, like in Neverwinter Nights, you can't, you can't do same-sex romances at all, right? They're just not even allowed by the game. 
Uh, I didn't realize there was romance in the game at all. So sure. <laughs> uh, but you you can see the dialogue options that are like gently testing the water to be like, if you want to take this in a romantic or sexual way, you can. Here's the obvious dialogue option to not do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will say there are uh there are more obvious off ramps than there are on ramps in the dialogue, <laughs> but uh, which, which but, yes, I think true. is the way to go, right? Like, you know, heavy on consent. You know, the last thing you want is to end up in a romantic situation that you didn't want to get into, versus like, oh, oh, I wanted no, to no, and no. I didn't get there. You know, no, 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 that happened. That definitely happens. <laughs> where it's like, is this the platonic option or the romance option? Like. <laughs> Oh, oh, well, it I guess it's it it's, it's, it said it's a sensual night. So <laughs> <laughs> that means humid, right? Thought, That's a humid night. I, I thought we were just going to get drunk. I don't understand. That's like <laughs> wine. Uh, <laughs> so there are definitely some caveats here, of, of uh, especially things that should remain probably, uh, you know, it's like CRPG conventions, not tabletop RPG conventions. Um, things yeah, that just work said, a little better. You said better. sex past three times <laughs> so far this episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, look, like you know, your home group is your home group. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if romance is, is of interest to you, then sure. Um, and if it's but not, then like, say, don't put your jam in that situation. Exactly. Um, and the extremely horny NPC aspect is like probably not the way to address romance in the game right um it, like if that's a if that's an element you want to explore that should probably go between pcs more so than mm -hmm. between uh every possible npc <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i have gotten into i've had a character get into a romance with uh an npc right so like a gm played character and and like it fit for the character because it was like a high school game, you know, like high school mutants, blah, blah, blah. So like it, it would have been weird for my character to be like, no, I'm not interested in romance at all, you know, exploring that at all. Uh, but I was, is it was basically like, I don't want to get into any specifics whatsoever. All right. We are fading to black so hard on everything here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wish they had done that in this game. <laughs> we'll talk about it. The the slog of exploration would not port over well to a tabletop game. Like part of the fun slash frustration of a computer RPG is, you know, I'm on a new map. So I, as a completist, basically mow the lawn <laughs> with the fog right. of war, you know, right. to like find everything um and you know i'm really trying hard not to open every single like broken vase because that is just eating up my entire life and it's not worth it for the most part yes you know yeah yeah uh, <laughs> well, i'll talk about that too at tabletop and i think most people already do this just present the interesting things you know like I'll, i don't think we we as a community usually do hex crawl you know uh foot by foot mapping of dungeons anymore or you do it as like a change of pace 
for one encounter or like one dungeon and that's it you don't you don't do it anymore yeah i mean even if you wanted to do that sort of like foot by foot mapping like you would do it for the place where it's interesting not mm-hmm. for the literally like, everything yeah right and and like there's a lot of the environmental immersion and things like that that are valuable uh in a video game that are you know easily handled with a a few sentences of of description and narration by the gm uh and and just you know you plant the seed for theater of the mind and you don't have to demonstrate it um so i i agree with you um yeah there's also <laughs> there's also some hidden items and locations that are uh the kind of thing that if you plan it in a tabletop game, it's just not going to get found. Right. So, like, I guess it's fine in in a video game, but it is... It's good for subsequent playthroughs, you know? I, I guess. But, but, yeah, like, don't create something that people won't see if you are running a game at a table. Right. You know, and if they don't see it, then move it. To somewhere else right. and use it later right like don't waste that time yeah this is um you know like we demonstrated this i think in the uh sunless citadel actual play right with that mm-hmm. where like <laughs> i know there's a hidden door here <laughs> like but for the life of me cannot pass the check to find the hidden door right like, and what is behind the so door? i guess just i'm the lore yeah right like, the story <laughs> the story we are trying to tell is behind this dumb door like don't yeah, do that yeah. yeah just annoying um and then this being a Baldur's gate title there are lots of situations where you make a simple mistake and you just die mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that is i i mean i think it is way fewer in three than in either one or two um that was like the core gameplay loop of Baldur's Gate one was like oops you didn't know how to handle this encounter you're dead um and up to and including literally the first encounter um so I think it's fair game for a Baldur's Gate title it's not fair game for a tabletop game (laughs) right where like you don't have quick saves you know you don't have saves coming you don't you don't have reloading like if the whole party wipes they're just dead mm-hmm. reroll new characters that's a lot less fun yeah yeah or you know gm fiat for the fourth time to like somehow bring us back together i guess so that's how to use uh every bit of the buffalo shall we talk about our review of the game let's do it uh i i will start with since i've actually played through to the end uh and and like i said i did a lot of uh quick saving and saves coming in order to explore branches uh, before picking one mostly because i knew i wasn't going to play it twice because who has the time (laughs) um and i honestly am surprised i got through it once but I, I mean, I felt Act One was excellent. <laughs> um, I liked the the kind of core tension that's set up there. Um, I, I really I enjoyed the environments. I enjoyed like the low level play. Combat felt like a puzzle. It was really rewarding to figure things out. I had not yet grown tired of sifting through trash for valuable goods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
Act 2, I felt was pretty good. And then Act 3 was a complete mess, but <laughs> it all kind of came together in a pretty good way. So, like, overall, felt like it was. it's a good story. It's a good game. But uh, it is a... Uh, it is clear that they spent a lot of time polishing your introductory hours mm-hmm. uh, and a lot less time polishing the end of the game. Well, I mean, they had years to do Act 1, right? With right yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, that was also the part that was in the beta or the uh, early release, alpha or yeah. whatever. Yeah, so it was like, you know, you knew that was going to be pretty good. You know, it's a it's a video game, so the gameplay has to work, you know? Like... And there's a, it's just a lot of like table stakes, blocking and tackling stuff that has to work in order for for the game to be functional. Um, I think most of the performance issues and visual bugs have been resolved at this point. I know there was a lot of early patching. If you went and picked it up now, it's fine. Like I played it on Steam Deck uh, as well as on desktop, and like um, outside of like a couple specific areas later in the game, I didn't have any performance issues. Um, and and pretty limited visual bugs um mostly I'm on a like clipping Mac laptop so you know <laughs> it'll get bad <laughs> it will the the last fight depending <clears throat> on on how you approach act two the last fight there literally tanked my desktop um <laughs> which was like it, and it's just the volume of particle effects and characters on screen and like the sheer you know backlog of characters that it has to go through i was so upset like i was so frustrated it's like watching a slideshow and it's like i don't even get to act because it's like there's 30 characters between me and the ones i control Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah the camera's just jumping around everywhere exactly and i have no sense of what's going on and i don't even know what like is this an arms of hadar or is this a like you know some other spell like what's going on here no anyway, what do you mean fine. like the the loud scream and shout and the bright visuals uh you know making everything glow within 40 feet that's you know press the digitation yeah overall uh as we mentioned above the mechanics i felt are solid um everything kind of works the way they've designed the encounters things like that like it feels like D and it feels rewarding and it feels like a you know puzzle is uh, combat is a puzzle which is i think how these games should feel Mm -hmm. um it feels like there's a skill to learn how the game works and then those skills get applied um as you face the higher level encounters which i like i mean it's all like good mechanical game design in my opinion so I'm, i'm happy to see that um and if you haven't played a a a crpg in a while like this feels like a spiritual successor to Neverwinter Nights. Like, this is what I remember Neverwinter Nights feeling like, much more so than I feel like Baldur's Gate felt like. That's interesting. The For me, the vibe is very original Baldur's Gate, like wandering through the wilderness as the fog of war uh, disappears and then stumbling upon, oh, like, I, I guess in this corner there was a wizard's tower. Cool, okay. I didn't know I was mm-hmm. so close to it, you know? Mm-hmm. But with the gameplay itself, right, the way that... I at a keyboard interact with a game and make choices about my build and about my tactics feels yes, exactly like Neverwinter Nights. Totally. Yeah. It also like candidly feels more fair like Neverwinter Nights (laughs) (laughs) because like I said, like Baldur's Gate's legacy is not a fair game, but a fun one, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, look, 
for all the problems we have with 5th edition D&D, it is a more fair system than 3.5. Well, yeah, the original Baldur's Gate was... Was 2, right? But like Neverwinter Nights, yeah. (laughs) Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And then I think like the last bit of that blocking and tackling, right? Like voice acting, the uh, scoring, the sound design, like all that stuff is great, right? It's not a given that it's going to be, but like you got to acknowledge that like Larian studios does a great job with this stuff and they really invested in the voice acting they got some great cast um the uh the unexpected appearance of jk simmons was like a little <laughs> jarring for me but he doesn't like I, they use him in a great way like he's excellent um and i like his character's awesome so i you know it's great i like I, again like they set out to make a triple a game and they made a triple a game right you can't fault them for that part of it in my opinion um and then overall like i felt like the story is good having seen like the full arc of it um and other than the difficulty being significantly lower than the other Baldur's gate games um and that being then contrasted by some weird gotcha moments like it does feel like a worthy installment in the Baldur's Gate storyline, right? Like it, it feels like, oh yeah, okay, this is this feels like Baldur's Gate canon, right? Even if it plays a little bit differently, it does feel like this this carries it forward. Um, the way they they integrate Act <laughs> One into obviously the Dead Three um, and that sort of ongoing storyline of the you know the history of the Bale Spawn and all that stuff, Ball Spawn. Um, I, I feel like it, it ends up coming together really, really well. And also the low difficulty, maybe not for combat, but like for skill checks is something you might want to try implementing in a home game. Like the DCs that you face are sometimes two, five, <laughs> I, seven. I love that. Yeah. Just roll a die, please. Because you can, you can just succeed, you know? But they then, have auto fail on ones, which is aggravating. Which is, yeah, yeah. So and also just not in the rules. The so like, why? <laughs> right. <laughs> um yeah there's also like i don't know i my complaint is on the the difficulty of the combat because i did get to the point where i felt like oh well without really trying very hard to optimize anything i've just kind of invalidated the challenge of the game now oops um were you what level were you playing on uh regular Mm, yeah um i usually play on normal and then i like if I play through again, I up the difficulty. Um, mm. My feeling is I should, if I'm going to play it once, I want to play it the way the devs thought it should be done. Uh, right. And, and not like a know. blanket filter applied to all like attacks right. and HP. Yeah. Um, and you know what? The devs, like the devs of Baldur's Gate 1 <laughs> had a different opinion of what normal was. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And I mean, that's why, you know, the general advice for Baldur's Gate 1 was equip everyone with longbows and kill everything from a distance. (laughs) Uh, I think the 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 best advice for Baldur's Gate 1 is traps. Just use traps. (laughs) Traps for days. Go find Dristoward and kill him. Take his stuff. That is. Yes. But how are you going to do that with longbows? No, with traps. (laughs) (laughs) You could you could kill him if you gave one person the boots of speed and they kite him in a circle and everyone else shoots him with longbows. He would just keep chasing 
the one person and die. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, okay. <laughs> and I definitely, I definitely killed him back in the day because that's before I read the books and I was like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't care. Yeah, he's got two good scimitars, though. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mentioned earlier, but like, I think you're running it on a Mac laptop. I ran it on Steam Deck, uh, as well as a a pretty modern desktop. Like, it, it, it's great that it runs on a lot of platforms. It's, uh, I think pretty good on, uh, console as well, if I recall. So, yeah, I mean, that's not a given these days. Um, looking at what some of the specs are for. You know, it's contemporaries like Starfield and uh, City Skylines 2 are not looking like they're going to run on anything. So that's nice. Um, but given all those flaws, or given all of those like positives, there are some flaws and they are so f***ing annoying. <laughs> like, <laughs> so absolutely goddamn aggravating. Like, I just, it just drives me nuts, Ishan. Like, I, I wanted to pull out my hair at times, and it's not because it's bad. It's because it's just, it's like, it's just flawed in such avoidable ways. It's easy to make a, a mistake where, like, okay, now I've, I've played this combat for 45 minutes and I have to reload because I accidentally killed my own character because I clicked on them at the wrong time. Yes. Uh, I mean, for one thing, um, they there aren't even like a guarantee. Like, not all abilities in your ability bar have confirmations. Some of them mm-hmm. cast on click. Others mm-hmm. cast on confirm. Some of them linger, uh, which means that like <laughs> you'll be stuck in targeting when you try to switch characters. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you will cast a spell <laughs> on an ally because you try to switch to that ally to activate them. Yeah, because or you'll you'll have your spellcaster run into combat because you thought you were targeting, but right, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like oh, it's just that UX stuff is so bad, and like it's great that they adopted group initiative, where if you share the like if you're in the same, mm-hmm. you're, you're uninterrupted in initiative order, you can move your side in it's whatever kind order of amazing. you want. It's great. It it actually makes it feel much smoother and and less frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that a lot, but then it creates these situations where I'm trying to just switch between characters and then I, you know, punch myself in the face. <laughs> yeah. Who could have thought? Um, and it like, it happens with targeting allies, activating abilities. It, you can break stealth like at random uh, or um, because you can switch between real time and turn based um, and like paused. Uh, did you know that when you go to turn based, it buffers reactions and that I... you can blow yourself up because of that buffering? I realized, yes. <laughs> yes, it's great. It's great. You can way overkill things because you didn't know that you just have to run real time for a second in order for it to catch up. Oops. <laughs> Sometimes things just won't fall in turn-based mode because gravity doesn't apply to them until it's their turn. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know, you can climb up and down a huge long ladder and I, it apparently doesn't account against your movement speed. Any movement speed at all, yeah. Or time, yeah. yeah. R- correct, which yeah. becomes a, a critical fact to know later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no way they can get me. Yes, they can. Right. They can. The game <laughs> thinks you're 10 feet away from each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, 
all of that is to say it it just forces you to be habitually quick saving and mm-hmm. then you, you just have to expect to reload and that's a very it's a very earned experience in games where the gameplay is unfair and the difficulty is stacked against you it's absolutely infuriating when it's because of petty ux design flaws right it's not that the game is hard it's that the interface is hard and that sucks <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um part of that though is i don't know uh to be expected or or maybe maybe it's a nostalgia trip uh inventory management is is equally aggravating and difficult but it always and, is in these games it, it's it is for so it, it, like for the thing is none of these are bad for one reason too right like the taskbar management thing is like okay fine you can customize like your hotkeys but then like it keys off of items in your inventory, which sometimes get added automatically. Mm-hmm. But also, you can freely transfer items between characters in your inventory without taking any action or time or space. So one person could just carry all the potions yeah. <laughs> and hand them out as needed. And okay, <laughs> while that's kind of silly, I will say at a at a tabletop, I would probably encourage you for the most part, unless you're playing a survival game, just adopt that kind of laissez-faire attitude toward who's holding what. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I have no problem. That's not the problem. The problem is, given that that's true, why do we have to deal with all the inventory pain? <laughs> and, and you only, What's some, the you only sometimes have to. of managing individual inventory? Yeah, exactly. Right, like uh, you can Like when you're send, selling stuff. <laughs> yeah. You can send all food to camp, Right. And then just keep it there, and it will use it when you long rest. You never have to carry it around. Correct. why can't everything else also be that easy? Mm -hmm. There's no point. Um, Or actually, uh, when I pick up food, why can't it just automatically go to camp? (laughs) Right, right. And same thing with, like, trash trash items, of which there are hundreds of thousands. Um, Yeah. Like, if, if you are using the like you know uh, i can't remember what it's called but like add to your cell pile right like you have to do those largely individually um though there are some (laughs) in act three there's a an enemy type that always drops a freaking dagger sometimes the dagger is in their inventory sometimes it's on the ground sometimes you can mass pick them up sometimes you cannot it's just a weird bug of that item that you're gonna have to deal with about 90 times is it a a mac thing where when you click on a corpse you can't just click individual items to pick them up you have to either take Uh, all or individually select an item like right click it and be like okay give me this uh no no that uh there you can i think i figured out there's a way to multi-select yeah, um, it's just it's such a but, huge pain when you're like, I don't want their broken cup, you know? Yeah, yep, that's, yes, that's what happens. The problem, mm-hmm. it, it also, you can't mass add to trash or something. I don't right. know. I, yeah. I, I just remember being very frustrated with it that I immediately dropped it from my mind because I was so aggravated. <laughs> uh, I hate it. I hate the inventory. And then all I'll say is it's even worse if you have a controller. Like, it's Oof. already bad with a mouse. It's right. so much worse on a controller. But taskbars are great on controllers because they're task wheels so you know you take what you get yeah i mean baldur's gate one had easy cheat codes 
like you just you know open up the console so yeah well know, i just want them. infinite gold so i don't need to worry about it <laughs> yeah i mean you also hit the point quickly where gold is useless. it doesn't matter yeah, yeah yeah so like i i i went too long without uh without not picking up trash but eventually i think everybody gives up and just stops picking up the trash you eventually stop picking up magic items right yeah. like that's how much the trash becomes is that well, like low Gale level magic hungry. items aren't even worth it yeah <laughs> that stops being a thing too <laughs> um i kept so many items early on because i was like oh i'll feed this to gale and it was like you have to do this like three times Ugh. <laughs> it's gonna feel like an open world rpg it, they're gonna really want that aesthetic for it but it's not an open world rpg um and like it has this sort of open-ended mission ordering like that lets you do you know you could do a b or c in whatever order you want that kind of feels more like a tabletop experience you know of like mm -hmm. you know what order do you want to address these problems towards the end of act one those choices stop really working and by act three like you can just do things wrong like you just there are situations where like through no indication in the story uh like will's father will randomly die you'll show up to the location he's at and depending on the order you do things he'll just be dead when you get there in another if you do it in a different order he's not dead there's no indication that those two things should be related other than you didn't advance will's story far enough to the part where his dad is involved to get the clue to where you need to go, but you can get that clue from other places. Oh, you mean you so, weren't playing a uh, full spellcaster, so you didn't take enough long rests? Uh, uh, hmm. I think I have this later. Oh yeah, I do. It's the next thing on my list. Resting to advance is stupid. Yeah, I played a thief. I didn't have to rest at all in Act Three. I could have gotten through with zero rests, uh, which is speaks to the difficulty, but also like. I then had to go rest for like two weeks straight in order to get all the story caught up so uh -huh. I could finish the game. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, anyway, with my argument. Too. Like lots of people do yeah. like, you got to rest again. You got to rest again so yeah. they can talk to you. Exactly. It's so aggravating. And then like if like two or three things are stacked up that like need to happen on a rest, only one of them happens in a night. So like sometimes you have to rest back to back in order to like empty out the queue <laughs> it's very annoying well fortunately um, i have ten thousand uh, supplies so yeah well yeah and you've been carrying them around like a fool should have just <laughs> sent them to camp or sold them supply packs very dumb also make sure you get the achievement for only drinking alcohol with the rest <laughs> um Anyway, I do think because of the like pseudo open-ended nation of uh, open-ended nature of it, what they should do is put through like a canonical mode, which just leads you on the journey and gets you the canon choices, right? And it should probably even start with play a freaking Dark Urge, because until you play Dark Urge, you don't really realize that like. Oh, wait, no, that's actually where this all ties together flawlessly to Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, and not in this weird sort of like tacked on part. Um, so there's that. <laughs> mm. And I think they 
they did some of this. They started down the path of pointing, like giving you signposts about like, here's where to go in order to like, just get you through the story. And I would think it would, it should be built into like the story mode difficulty level, right? But if you go to your map, all your quests are just on your map, right? Oh, go to this mm -hmm. place to do this, go to this place to do this. But it doesn't tell you what order. Like you could just rank exactly. them by color or number. Exactly. And, and that's the thing is it's like, I just, given that some choices can conflict in like non-transparent ways, okay, I just want to play it through once. Just tell me the right order to do things. Like, I don't care. I'm going to do them all. Just tell me the order that does it right. Like, you right. know, and, and it's just gives, like, that gives me the nice ending. Right. Exactly. Or, or that's the other part is that like some of the valid choices don't actually give you endings. Oh yeah. Like, there's mm -hmm. an ending. The game ends, but like, it doesn't give you the equivalent payoff of like one of the quote unquote good endings. Right. So like there's an, there's an off ramp that's about 85% of the way through the game. That is a valid end of the game, in my opinion. Like, okay, you have made a choice. Like, you should get a cutscene, like a, an epilogue of like, what does that mean for your choice, right? And then you should go reload the save and finish the freaking game. But like, <laughs> it's just like, okay, you're done. Game over. What? It doesn't even give me credits. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's a fail state. Like, why did you even offer this to me? Because I wasn't a hero? You didn't make me a hero. Um, well, you, well, you told me I didn't need to be. You told me I could be anything right. I wanted to be. Anything, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything, and, and I think, as long as you get to the last fight, you should. <laughs> well, and also, like, this This isn't just this game, right? This happens in so many, com like, video games mm -hmm. where the best storyline is written for the alignment or the choices that are considered default, right? Which is... I mean, which, which is, is why, why I, I almost always pick chaotic good for a, for a yeah. playthrough if I'm only going to play through once because that's definitely the one that gives you the most options uh, and will give you the best ending definitely right but that's why I go back to canonical mode right it's like great what's the story that you think is like the canon of the game if mm -hmm. you're going to write a sequel to it right what yeah. are the assumptions you will have made that I did just give me that story right mm -hmm. why don't why can't you just lampshade what the choices are that'll get me there Right. Uh, when I look this it, up it on just, Wikipedia in 10 years, what is the, a group of adventurers, like what did they do? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when I need to summarize this for the next game, what do I need to have to know has happened? Um, it's just, yeah. And then also just like some of the, some of the evil end game choices, like you get like a 30 second cutscene, and the others get like 10 minutes of epilogue. And it's just like, oh, okay. I guess that's the end of the game for me. Got all the way. Click the wrong button, did I? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> sure would like to know what happens to my companions, who, despite me being an evil bastard, I still care about. <laughs> or, like, who might have interesting reactions to me being an evil bastard. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so annoying. I mean, you know, you went back to your home planet. You don't get to find out anything. <laughs> this is my home planet now i run this planet uh we talked about the rest to advance thing i don't need to rant about that again i think there's also just like in terms of speaking about the game there's it's really confusing where the line between act one and act two is um 
and it's really hard to talk about where the line is without risking spoilers <laughs> and like and and the problem is like there's several points in the game where it says like if you advance you will lose certain things about quests yeah yeah you can't right? come back like the, yeah like the story will advance past the point where you can do that quest which is fine when you're talking about goblins attacking the druid grove right like sure once that fight happens like obviously like quests that were dependent on that or in preparation of that aren't going to work but like there's some weird warnings uh about leaving the first map like leaving the wilderness map that aren't quite true (laughs) (laughs) or aren't totally true and like it's just it's like super unclear it's like am i in act two because i i had that one part but then it doesn't quite tell me like is the githyanki crash part of act one yes is the underdark part of act one even though it's like kind of on the way to act two but a lot of it is you can go to it later after you're already in act two is that part of it where's the line here it's just like i don't know um so and that's more of just like the convention like it the way it's structured is annoying to talk about without introducing those problems but that's not like ultimately a flaw of the game right like the story works just fine without having like a clean demarcation and structure i just wish they had managed to make it easier to talk about that's my complaint for content creators (laughs) (laughs) um and then last it's needlessly horny i'm sorry like we didn't need to see uh genitalia in order to make characters it's the dumbest thing in the world there didn't need to be nudity in the in the uh cut scenes like it it makes what is otherwise a good and interesting story incredibly childish for no good reason i just don't understand it i like i i hate it so much i mean it certainly makes it awkward to uh play with an audience mm-hmm. with a family <laughs> around yes <laughs> right. i agree or like for example, um, our uh, our babysitter. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. Like, I got to turn this game off because of this stupid cutscene. Wonderful. So, thanks. Uh, what about replayability? So, you played once. Will you play it again? And I'll, and I'll say, look, like, did I play, did I do a full playthrough of the original Baldur's Gate 1 again no no of course not no i didn't i played it once well that's only like 30 hours (laughs) (laughs) it's nothing um it's a really short game i did play through i guess neverwinter nights and hordes of the underdark a couple of times but honestly those those campaign story modes are not particularly good so mostly it was like mods from the community Mm -hmm. i wish i had just played dark urge (laughs) um I think if you didn't play Dark Urge that you should probably, like, and you really like the game, you should probably go back. I don't find it difficult enough or interesting enough to do that. Uh, so I just read about the Dark Urge, like, storyline and, like, what what is supposed to happen there. And when I did that, I was like, oh, oh, okay, that fills in all the plot holes. Like, you should have just told me that this is the story. Mm. Um and I also like I don't try to hundred percent games or like get every trophy. So like, you know, I like if you want to go finish every Steam achievement, like sure, go replay it and and use save games and get to those scenarios quickly uh, in order to set up the things you need for the for the achievements. But otherwise, like, I mean, I spent a lot of time. Like, I mean, I spent like my save 
or my my play count is like 170 hours and like some of that is idle time but like I did a lot of quick saving near those key decisions to just see what happens, which is how I know that there's some like very arbitrary and dumb choices um, that they made in the in the layering of it. Um, those decisions, like they all kind of get wiped out at key points and they don't affect the end. So. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like and I don't care for the romance part, like I don't need to like bang every npc in order to like feel like i got my money's worth so also i banged a pair of drow hookers (laughs) yeah so there's that that was before i knew the babysitter was here okay i had headphones in (laughs) no there was a there's a a benefit to that (laughs) there's a there's a there's a reason to get there's a buff there's a buff which is the reason that i didn't uh the reason that I didn't bother resting is because I knew if I rest, I lose the buff. I mean, <laughs> so I just didn't <laughs> look, I engaged in some BDSM play with an obviously evil priest for the buff. So <laughs> I didn't know what the buff uh, was, but I heard there was a buff. So <laughs> there's also, <laughs> all right, I'll just tell this little story. Cause it's one of those emergent gameplay things that I find really amusing. There's a uh, there's a quest reward in in Baldur's Gate itself uh, that is a, a robe that heals you D4 hit points whenever you end your turn standing in water, uh, which includes puddles uh, and also includes like spilled water barrels and things like that. Uh, and if you are such a person who does not want to rest at all <laughs> in Baldur's <laughs> Gate on account of you have this buff that will go away the moment you take a long rest... Well, you could just pass around this robe (laughs) and stand in a puddle, which, again, is how you get to 170 hours of gameplay, because you just didn't rest. (laughs) So a lot of time I spent just, like, moving them into the puddle and walking away. Go make a sandwich, come back, switch characters, put them in a puddle, walk away. Wow. So, yeah, I did a lot to pursue. It was, look, it's a plus D6 to all skill checks, all saving throws, and all attacks. Uh, oh, a plus wait, D6 on very, skill whoa. checks is insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like, um, it gives you so much story control. I mean, so, I mean it's super bless. Yeah, like, and it stacks with bless. Right, yeah, and guidance. Yeah. And guidance, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm now you know why I did it. Kind right. of worth oh, right. Oh, actually, that yes. I mean, no. I mean, yes. Now I now I know. Um, but this reminds me, like a thing that I really liked about the uh, user interface, especially when doing skill checks, was the game would offer up possible bonuses to you. Right? It was like, well, remember you have these options, right? And you can just be like, great, have Shadow Heart use guidance, have Shadow Heart use guidance, do it, do it, right? Um, and the game doesn't penalize you for it. It doesn't try to guilt you and say, well, that's not how the game is supposed to be played. It's like, yeah, use your bonuses, do that. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. just let just let people use their bonuses, you know? Yeah. Like, if, yeah. if something's does, at will, it's at will. Let it be at will. It does make a pair of gloves that give you guidance, like, literally the most powerful item in the game. <laughs> you get them in, like, <laughs> level two. 
uh, gloves are a bad slot for most classes anyway. So it's like, okay, I'll just keep these forever. Mm. Guidance for days. <laughs> yeah, all day, all day, constantly. Yes. Yep. So yeah. Um, also, I like. I really like how they integrated the backgrounds into Inspiration. Speaking of mm. like bonuses mm -hmm. that you can apply to roles. Right. And um, speaking of I something think... that's underutilized in tabletop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, but it's hard because it's basically like achievements, right? Like they're almost like interior achievements for the game, which is like you just get inspiration for doing certain things with certain characters and making certain choices. Um, but they're not laid out to you in advance. Uh, I guess you could data mine them or go to like a wiki and, and find out what they are. But, um, right. Yeah, and if you're so. a hoarder like me, you're like, great, I got an inspiration point. I'm never spending it. Oh no, that's the one <laughs> I was so bad about potions for the longest time, but I spend inspiration like candy because they give them, <laughs> they give you a lot and they, you know, yeah, but number go yeah. up. I want no, yeah, but I want uh narrative control. But yeah. Well, that's why you just reload. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't want to go. Uh, you're right. I should have just saved scum more. Um, Overall, I mean, I, my takeaway from this is like, if you like CRPGs in that like Black Isle, Larian, Owlcat studio tradition, right? Like that sort of the isometric uh, computer RPG. I think this is like a worthy new torchbearer. It is, you know, <laughs> top of the class. Um, you know, if you liked the Pathfinder games that Owlcat made, if you liked any of the old ones, you know, the, the Neverwinter Nights, the... Um, I guess we haven't mentioned Icewind Dale yet, right? Like it very much feels like those games um, and it's good. Um, but I also don't think like if you didn't care for those for reasons, I don't think this changes the formula in any way that's going to like convert you, right? It's still a very long game. It's still like a lot of the same stuff over and over again. And if that's not the convention of the game that you like, like they, this hasn't changed the genre enough to, to really make it more interesting in my opinion. Yeah. Like if, if you didn't play those earlier games or you didn't enjoy those games, one thing you did get out of playing them is being able to be part of the cultural conversation since then. So that is one thing you're going to miss out on. Like these kinds of games don't come out, very often, right? This is the third mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate in, what, 25, 30 years? Mm -hmm. So it's, I think, probably worth at least dabbling with or engaging with or, I don't know, even just browsing a wiki, right, to see what people are talking about just so you can have those conversations 10 years from now because people will be talking about this game at tables 10 years from now, just like we still talk about, you know, Minsk, right. And go for mm -hmm. the eyes. And like, it's, it's a thing. And if you don't get it, then you miss out a little bit. That's true. And, and I think the, uh, the mimetic value of Asterian, Gale and Lazel already is <laughs> like, I think going to inform RPGs going forward, in a in a way that's probably not what Larian anticipated when they wrote those characters, <laughs> if I had to guess. Um, and, you know, if you are a regular listener of the show, you know that, like, I'm not a computer gamer anymore in any way. Um, but, like, I bought this game, you know? 
it's been <laughs> a really long time and i'm like well i'm, I'm gonna play this game right like play the other ones <laughs> we, wore you, we wore you down yeah and you know like if if i'm gonna like sort of you know break my oath right <laughs> and like get back into it for a while like this is obviously going to be the one you know this mm-hmm. is Baldur's gate slash neverwinter nights this is what it is this is what you have this is your option yep yep agreed uh any other parting thoughts before we uh move on to the character creation forge this game costs what you would pay for one splat book <laughs> like it's worth it <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it, it's already hitting sales as well. Like, it's, <laughs> uh, this is just the nature of Steam charts. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I'm in Europe right now. I bought it and downloaded it on a VPN because I refused to pay, you know, 59.99 euros instead of dollars. <laughs> um, did you buy it on Steam? Uh, no. Gog. Oh uh, yeah, GG. I haven't engaged with Steam, and like that's a line I have not yet crossed, and probably never will. Oh, but let me add this. Look, if you really don't want to play this game, just go watch the cutscenes on YouTube. That's all you need. <laughs> I think uh, everything's there. I mean, I do think that is one of those things where it's like you can watch this game. Like, find a content creator you like who's doing, you know, playthroughs, and either watch a stream or watch the youtube version of their stream where they've cut out the dead air yeah um and you'll probably absorb 80 percent of the choice uh-huh. and all of the necessary story and anything that you're curious about like you can read on a wiki um so yeah it's definitely out there it's a it's a what a time to be alive <laughs> watching other people wrestle with inventory management exactly <laughs> Um, all right, we are well over time this week, so I think we're going to have to bump the Character Creation Forge next week, which means we will ring two partial episodes of content out of our <laughs> hundreds of hours of investment. Uh, so we will bring back the Character Creation Forge next week. But before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. All right, before we go, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at totalpartythrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing our series and ranking the 5th edition D&D Ranger subclasses. And in the Character Creation Forge? Uh, I guess we're building the Dark Urge. <laughs> <laughs> Thematic. <laughs> sort of. All right, that's it for episode 351 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 